Hello and welcome to another, the latest, you might say, episode of Disenfranchised. We are a podcast about those franchises of one, those movies that had those lofty ambitions of being a full-fledged franchise, but fell flat after the first film. That was unintentionally alliterative, and I love every second of it. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Stephen Foxworthy, and uh, that guy over there dumping tons of fish into the middle of a New York City street is my co-host, Brett Wright. Hi, Brett. Hi, Stephen. How's it going, buddy? Uh, it's going okay, man. There's too much fish. Too, it's a lot of fish. It's a lot of fish. It's a lot of fish. And uh, and uh, also joining us this week to help us uh, talk about all things Giant Monster uh, is the uh, former co-host of the Rule of Thirds podcast uh, and uh, an aspiring filmmaker in his own right, Mr. Samuel Dumas. Sam, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you guys? Doing very well. Doing very well, actually. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. And uh, we're, we're especially glad to have you because you are uh, kind of an expert on our, our topic. And you, you personally requested that we talk that you be on this episode when we talked about this film. So yeah, that second part is true. I definitely requested that, but I probably got it over my head to call <laughs> me an expert is a bit of a stretch. I've been cramming the Godzilla research for the last like three weeks and prep for this. Well, let's, let's be really frank compared to the two of us. You are a content expert, so we cool. can absolutely call you. You've, I can almost guarantee you've seen more Godzilla films than Brett and I combined. Um, Certainly. And I guess we've, we've kind of already let the cat out of the bag, but Brett, what movie are we talking about this week? We are talking about the 1998 Godzilla. 1998 Godzilla, directed by Roland Emmerich and starring Matthew Broderick, Jean Renault, uh, Maria Patillo, Hank Azaria, Harry Shearer, Kevin Dunn, Michael Lerner, Vicky Lewis, and some other people as well. Big, big 1998 movie. And in fact, they, they expected it to be so big that the tagline was size does matter. Size does matter. Awkward. It, it's a euphemism for a penis, gentlemen. I don't know if you <laughs> caught that or not. I didn't. Please explain it to oh, me, Stephen. Oh man, my mind is blown. <laughs> right, and and see that I, that's just the context that you come to disenfranchised for. That's what I we drew, bring to the table. I drew that slogan on everything when I was eight years old. I was like, oh yeah, Godzilla's cool. Spray paint sizes matter on the side of the playground, recess playground, and it's tagged El Samo. Interesting. Who could that be? <laughs> well, you know, this movie does star half the cast of Simpsons. It really does. It does. <laughs> Hank Azaria, Harry Shearer, and in a very small role, Nancy Cartwright, Bart Simpson yeah. himself. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, wow, what a and we absolutely are gonna get into the cast of this movie. Uh, the thing that really amazed me is that for uh, a movie that is cast almost entirely with comedic actors, this film is really not funny. It's not like painfully oh. unfunny. Yeah. Like goes out of its way to not be funny. <laughs> it's like anti-comedy. Just astounding to me. Like you've got these people who are really funny uh, and then no humor, no humor whatsoever. I was astonished. There was Incredible. a couple of chuckles in there. I mean, sure. Uh, you, you, look, even a stop clock is right twice a day. You're going to get right. something. But yeah. Right. It was, Only because all the best lines came. All, only because all the best lines came from one very specific actor. The entire yes. movie should just been around this one specific actor. I think we all think, I think we're all thinking who it is. So we'll, we'll now, find out now, I'm, now I think I'm thinking of someone else. So uh -oh. 
Uh-oh. No, I think we're thinking of the same person. I'm sure there, we are. We can't there, not be thinking of the same person. There's one actor who I think is perfectly pitched for what this movie is, and one actor in this film who absolutely knows what movie that he or she is making, and, and okay. everyone else there is are, really badly suited for this film. Okay, maybe there's two actors. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we're all thinking the same one, so... I hope so. I hope we are. Otherwise, we're going to have a really awkward conversation later, for sure. Yeah, we are. Um, we usually start out by talking about our uh, our various familiarities with uh, the property in question. And uh, well, first of all, let's, let's actually talk a little bit about why we're talking about Godzilla today. Uh, we are in the middle of our Monster Movie Madness Month. This is actually the last episode of our Monster Movie Madness Month. Uh, every week this month, we have talked about uh, movies with giant monsters in them. We talked about Rampage and Underwater. Last week, we talked King Kong. And so this week, we're talking Roland Emmerich's 1998 Godzilla. Uh, and of course, we're doing that to tie in uh, with the film that literally is dropping the same day this podcast does, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. One will fall. Uh, but here's the thing that everyone needs to remember. Kong bows to no one. I'm just that it needs and, to be said. And also size matters. So size does matter that which is why they made Kong so big for this new film, because usually Kong is is not as big as as Godzilla. Uh, and yet here he totally although this Godzilla, the Godzilla in this film, uh, smaller than most Godzilla's a uh, little 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 bit tinier than I would expect the Godzilla to be. Uh, it wasn't really about how how big the Godzilla was. It was about how they used the Godzilla. Yeah, and I mean, right. he, look, I mean, he's, he's he's big enough to to knock a building over. That's big enough for me. <laughs> Sure. Sure. Yeah. It, it's not the size of the Godzilla. It's how you use it. Yeah. That's, that's good. Despite what the advertisement keeps saying. What have we got well, ourselves into Steven? I don't know. I don't know, but you know what? I'm here for it. We're Whatever setting, this is. Setting the tone. Setting the tone. I'm having fun anyway. That's, that's all I can. That's all I ask for. I'm just having a good time. So, Hey, uh, you know what? I got a couple of my good friends here. We're talking about this movie. And uh, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. I like this. So we. So yes, that's the reason we're talking about Godzilla now in terms of our, our various familiarities with Godzilla. Sam, we'll, as our guest, we'll go ahead and let you go first. What is your uh, familiarity with Godzilla as a property, with this movie specifically? Have at it, man. Uh, well, as a small child, my grandma's neighbor uh, across the apartment hall had a bunch of Godzilla VHSs, and we would borrow them from him. And then... We randomly had Godzilla versus the giant sea monster on VHS. So I used to watch those like a lot as a kid. And then when this came out, I had all the coloring books and action figures. I was so effing soaked about this movie, but I wasn't actually allowed to watch until two years after it came out because my, I was about eight years old when it first came out. Okay. So my mom didn't really want me to watch, watch it, even though we watch Independence Day like a religion every Sunday, every <laughs> week. <laughs> every day was your well, independence day right we held off on Godzilla for a couple more years but i finally saw it i actually loved it so okay but, i was gonna say i talked to your brother yesterday and randomly brought up this movie and he was like yeah i saw yeah. that in theaters i think so yeah so i remember uh i was hanging out in my mom's bedroom with my sister and then him and my brother my other brother hans came in they were talking about the whole movie so they gave us the whole details about everything Sure. So I, from, from what their conversations were, plus my coloring books and toys that I had, I put the uh, story together in my head. It would play out the story before I even saw the movie. I oh, was yeah. off. I was off. So this is not your very first exposure to Godzilla, but among your earliest exposures to Godzilla. Right, oh, right. 
when did you when would you say you became a Godzilla fan? Was it from those early ages or did yeah, you- it was definitely because those early ages. Then over time, like I would occasionally pick up another Godzilla movie. Like in high school, I actually didn't watch any of the Heisei era stuff until last year, but I've oh. seen some of the Millennium movies. Okay. And I recall I watched you, some of those. I recall you saying you really like some of the Millennium movies in, in past yeah, some, pa- some past conversations that you and I have had. Yeah, but I haven't had a chance to go back and reevaluate them because my uh way of watching the Godzilla movies got has gone away. So I haven't uh-huh. had a chance to actually as an adult reassess any of the Millennium movies. I uh, I have thought many times about just doing a chronological watch through of all the Godzilla movies, but that's like 40 movies and I yeah, don't I would recommend I really want to dedicate that much time to it really. Yeah, I'd recommend against it. Actually, it's kind of fun is the Millennium just a fun fact the Millennium movies every single movie in that series is actually a standalone sequel to the original movie. Yeah. I've got, I've got actually got that in my notes. I have a brief history of yeah, Godzilla. I did not that. realize that. I did not realize that until actually like two weeks ago. And oh. I was like, really? Nice. Fun fact. Very nice. Um, so, so Godzilla probably has the most direct sequels of all movie of any movie ever. That's probably true. Uh, because every of, single re- reboot. reboot is always a sequel. Yeah. 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 A lot of reboots in this franchise for sure. Um, Godzilla yeah. 98 was my introduction to Godzilla. Um, this movie was so, so hyped when it first came out that uh, I will talk about the marketing for this film uh, a little later, but uh, it, this movie was everywhere. Like you, it was just kind of appointment watching. If, if it came out, you had to watch it. So I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it when it came out on uh, on video and then have not seen it since until I watched it for this episode. So revisiting it was um interesting to say the least for sure but honestly i had not watched another godzilla film until we watched uh shin godzilla for the rule of thirds podcast a few years ago when we did our 21st century kaiju episode and i watched it for that and i thought shin godzilla was fantastic um another failed franchise starter shin godzilla because they're not going to make a sequel to that one right i think before then we actually watched godzilla 2014 together in theaters you're right yes no absolutely okay i've completely forgotten yes so i did watch the gareth edwards 2014 godzilla then shin godzilla uh and then the original godzilla i watched like two years ago uh and that to those to date have been the only godzilla films i no, i did watch king of the monsters last year so okay those are the, the five godzilla films i've seen so uh my my knowledge of godzilla very small but am still looking forward to uh godzilla versus kong so I don't know. We'll see. Brett, what about you? What's your uh, what's your history with uh, with the big guy? Uh, so I'm kind of in between both of you, I imagine. So I, while this was my first introduction to Godzilla, the 1998 one, um, I since went back and watched a good amount. Uh, my wife is a huge Godzilla fan, but I, you know, I never got into King Kong, much like Stephen did. Um, I, but, yeah, King Kong was my guy. <clears throat> yeah, you like the beastly stuff, like you like werewolves and King yes. Kong. Yep, I'm more into like you know vampires and reptiles. Apparently, um, yeah. it's uh, yeah. So I you know I I've seen the original Godzillas. I've seen the Mothras. I've seen um, a bunch of a bunch of stuff. Um, and we own the Criterion Showa era uh, collection. So it, look, yeah, I got a decent amount of knowledge, but not a whole lot. So I, yeah, I fall in between the two of you. I imagine. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I did put together a whole history of Godzilla, uh, similar to my history of King Kong that I put together last week, my history of Popeye that I did for that episode, my history of Mario Brothers. 
Um, I'm not going to go through all of it. I'm just going to kind of hit the highlights, uh, not even in terms of film, just in terms of kind of the eras that we're talking about in terms of Godzilla. Uh, the original is the Showa era. It is the most expansive era. Uh, it's the first and most expansive era. It runs for about 20 years uh, through most of the life of uh, the Showa emperor Hirohito in Japan from 54 to 75 um, with few exceptions, I'd say probably maybe four or five exceptions. Most of the films are characterized by a silly, almost slapstick humor, largely aim- aimed at children. Um, and, you know, dudes in suits, kind of funny, knocking each other over kind of stuff. Um, which is pres- then followed by the, how did you pronounce that, Sam? The Heisei era? Uh, Heisei. Heisei, sorry. The Heisei era. Uh, which the reboot it, re, it kicks off the reboot return of Godzilla in 84, which is the first reboot of the franchise serving as a direct sequel to, to the 54. And it runs for about 10 years from 84 to 95. And that's set in a single timeline. Godzilla becomes uh, more fearsome, uh, more like his original, the original intention of the monster, more fearsome, more threatening. Uh, and then right after that era ends, we get the TriStar era, which is literally this movie intended as a sequel. Um, and we can get into the specifics of the production here momentarily once we get past the plot. But it's, that's this the movie we're talking about today. It's followed by the Millennium era, uh, which is the second Toho reboot. As Sam mentioned, they're anthology films. So each one uh, it kind of exists within its own continuity um, in the is its own reboot of the original Godzilla film. So you've got uh, that one only runs for about five years from 99 to 2004. Uh, And then we have the current, the two current eras, there's the American era, uh, the legendary era, and then the, the uh, Rewa era, which is the current Japanese era. Yeah. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. Okay, good. Uh, The, the legendary era includes uh, the Gareth Edwards, Godzilla, the sequel Godzilla King of Monsters and the forthcoming Godzilla versus Kong, which again drops the day this episode does listen to this episode and then go watch Godzilla versus Kong in that order, please. And thank you. And then in Japan, meanwhile, you've got the 2016 Shin Godzilla, which was intended to kick off a franchise, but it was announced in 2008 that they 2018 rather that they would not be sequelizing it. And instead, which means that Brett, one of these days we can totally talk about Shin Godzilla. So that makes me happy. I'm into that, yeah. Shin Godzilla is a good movie. I really like Shin Godzilla a lot. Personally, it's my favorite one. Yeah, maybe maybe my second favorite after the original Godzilla. It's it's is real real good. Uh, and then a trilogy of anime films: uh, Godzilla, Planet of the Monsters, City on the Edge of Battle, and The Planet Eater. Uh, so that that comprises the current Reiwa era. Although it is announced, it was announced in 2018 alongside the we won't be sequelizing Shin Godzilla announcement that they're they're planning a world of Godzilla uh, shared cinematic universe inspired, of course, by the MCU, uh, which would uh, involve Godzilla and all the other Toho monsters kind of uh, fighting each other. So basically the anime TV show coming out, too. Oh, OK. There you go. It's on, the trilogy on of anime Tr- movies is good. Trilogy anime of anime movies. Movies. Those it's are all right. on Netflix, right? All of it's on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix has a huge like deal with them because they're because Netflix is releasing an anime show. That falls. I think Jaguar, Jet Jaguar, is going to be the main character. Okay. He's trying to buy Godzilla's shit and stuff. So okay, sure. So uh, even so after all these years, they're still trying to play catch up with Ultraman. 
I mean, yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. let's be honest. Um so that's kind of the the very brief history of kind of the various eras of Godzilla uh, as they exist uh currently. And of course, we're talking about the one that's kind of sandwiched right in the middle that is the uh TriStar film. Uh, I think I erroneously said it was a Fox production last week because I didn't have my notes in front of me like a dummy. So, it's got heavy Fox production vibes, though. It, Until it, I, it's, it does. If you, if you like a few months ago, so yeah, it's a Fox movie. I'd be like, oh yeah, Fox movie, of course. I mean, it it made perfect sense when I said it on on our episode last week. I also got a lot of right. crap, mainly just from Tucker, because I, uh, uh, as a as a dumb American, in my role as dumb American, I confused New Zealand and Australia a lot. On, oh, on last week's King Kong mm. episode. So just blanket my yeah. bad to everybody from the great country of New Zealand uh, and also the great country of Australia. My bad. Yeah. But to be fair, again, this does seem like a Fox production. Yes. No, it, it absolutely does. I mean, I didn't correct you because I thought it was. So <laughs> it right. makes sense that it would be. It <laughs> honestly it kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Let's let's start talking about this movie in earnest then. Um, so we do, uh, to talk about the plot of the movie, we go to the plot in 60 seconds where uh, one of us recounts the plot of the film in 60 seconds or less, or your podcast is free. And Sam, as our guest, has graciously volunteered uh, to give us the plot of the 1998 Roland Emmerich Godzilla in 60 seconds or less. Sam, are you ready? So a couple of questions. Uh, if, sure. I, if it's more, if it's more than sixty seconds, do you guys like yell at me? Is it because I don't know? I've I've read this out loud and I think it's sixty seconds, but it might not be. There's only been one time that someone has gone over sixty seconds, and it was a guest, so we just let them finish. Um, <clears throat> okay. If 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 Brett or I does it, um, we'll just kind of stop and then just like try to cram as much into the rest of like the next two seconds as we possibly can. That's just how we do it, but. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think I'm ready. Hopefully I don't choke to choke or anything. All right. Well, we've got 60 seconds on the clock. I will give you uh, a 30 and a 10 second warning just to let you know kind of what your time situation is. Unless I forget, I did that to Brett one time and I don't think he's forgiven me yet. Um, okay. So I'm going to explain the whole plot of Godzilla in 60 seconds. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully this will. <laughs> you, you got okay. it, man. You got it. I believe in you. It's fine. You'll do yeah. great. Uh, so your cool. time, sir, starts now. In Godzilla 1998, the French do some nuclear tests in Southeast Asia and radiate an iguana. It's Godzilla. He makes his way towards New York City to eat fish and have babies. The U.S. military recruits anti-nuclear activists turned Nuclear Regulatory Commission worm zapper Nick Tadpole Metropolis to track him down and to better understand what they're dealing with. The U.S. military loses Godzilla somewhere in New York City because it's the only island in the world where a giant lizard can hide. Nick's ex-girlfriend turned Razzie award-winning PA at a local news station sees him on TV. She cons her way into military-based using a stolen identity to talk to him and steals the classified seconds. research in hopes of getting an exclusive story and becoming a famous reporter. Nick is fired. Godzilla is chased and killed by submarines. Also, there's a team of French secret soldiers that are following Zilla. Nick figures out Zilla had babies and teams up with the French soldiers to find them. Ex-girlfriend reporter and her cameraman follow them. They find the baby Zillas. Baby Zillas chase everyone seconds. around Madison Square Garden, kill off the unimportant people. The heroes call in the airstrikes and all the baby Zillas are killed. Plot twist, Daddy Zilla is alive. Snuck back into the city. He chases the humans around who have escaped in the world's most indestructible camp. That is time. Daddy, I got one sentence left. Go for it. Hit it really quick. Get it. Get it. Get Daddy it. Zilla gets stuck on the Brooklyn bitch and dies. Plot twist, part two. One of the baby Zillas survives. <laughs> 
All right. Unfortunately, since it was not done in 60 seconds or less, that does mean every, all of our listeners now have to pay for the podcast. So cough it up, everybody. Cough it up, baby. 20 give, bucks. Please Venmo me, us $20. Give me my money. Yeah, so it's uh, at PayPal. Um, yeah, so that's 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 the plot. That is a very, very succinct and very hilarious uh, summation of the plot of the 1998 Roland Emmerich film Godzilla. Well done, Sam. Well done, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. I hope uh, I didn't trip over my words too much. No, you were great. Yeah. That was fantastic. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the production of this movie. Uh, so the deal was initially brokered between Toho and TriStar in 1992 for a planned Godzilla trilogy. Uh, screenwriters Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio were brought in in 93 to write a screenplay. And based on the descriptions of the screenplay that I read, it seemed like it wanted to have its cake and eat it too in just about every sense. Like they wanted Godzilla to be feared and yet understood. Um, they did wanted to focus not so much completely on Godzilla, but also not really totally entirely on the human characters as well. So it, I mean, it just sounded like they didn't, it was very unfocused, the screenplay. Uh, and then uh, later, uh, so a, a year later, as they're working on the script, they bring in uh, director Jan, uh, Jan de Bont, sorry, Jan de Bont, who at this point has only directed Speed, uh, but will be directing Twister very soon. Also, uh, Speed 2 Cruise Control. Uh, you know, just he's an action filmmaker. Uh, he was originally signed on as of July of 94 and then left in December because uh, the budget that he needed was essentially too much. I think it was between 150 and $200,000 or 200 million. Sorry, that 200,000, that's not the chump change. $200 million, which TriStar was just unwilling to cough up. The film featured a very different origin for Godzilla. He was a, a genetic creature constructed by the Atlanteans to face a giant shapeshifter called the Griffin. Um, not really sure what says Godzilla about that, but that's kind of what they were looking at. Uh, so eventually that whole project was scrapped once uh, DeBont left the project. And then Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin came on uh, and they brought us this movie that we see uh, before us. For uh, when they did you hear the little tidbit about when they presented this Godzilla design in the plot to the Toho Studios? The executives of Toho got and just left. Didn't save work home for today. Finally called <laughs> them up and said, fine, we'll do it. Because they were so just disgusted and disappointed with what they saw. We should talk about the creature design. And uh, because that will lead us to a conversation about the man who I've discovered might be the king of the failed franchise starter. Uh, and that is the production, uh, the creature designer on this film, Patrick Tatopoulos. Uh, so important to this film that uh, they named the main character after him so that no one would mispronounce his name. Even though they make a joke out of mispronouncing his name. That's, that's why you know no one will, because the main character himself pronounces it like 10 times within the context of the film. Yeah, do you pick like, up my little uh, mispronouncing of his name in the... 60 second I, of course summary there okay of course well done. no well was, done. that was that was that was the first major major laugh that you got out of me uh, i tried to keep him quiet but i don't know how successful i was because man oh man that was a funny plot description uh you. you're 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 making us look bad because none of ours are are really ever that funny uh, I, I don't have <laughs> thank you 
Very kind. I'm trying to get Patrick Totopoulos's stuff pulled up here because his yeah. uh, his his credits read like honestly they read like our our list of failed franchise starters. It's kind of incredible. He does a lot of work with Roland Emmerich actually, so you can see why Emmerich would want to bring him on. He actually did uh, creature design for uh, 2012 for Stargate. There was another Emmerich failed franchise starter that I am blanking on right now that he also worked on. Oh, I didn't realize he did the effects for Silent Hill for the creature design for that. Yep. He was a special nice. effects designer on iRobot. He would he did the special effects for Independence Day. Um, here are some of the failed franchise starters that he worked on. Uh the a movie we've already covered, Super Mario Brothers, uh, the 1994 film Stargate, which I mentioned before. Uh, the 1997 film Spawn, uh, the 1998 Godzilla, which we're talking about now. Uh, he did the 2000 film Battlefield Earth, uh, the 2004 Ooh. film iRobot, the Alex Proyas film iRobot. Not a failed franchise starter, but he did do the Wes Craven uh, werewolf movie Cursed. Uh, he did another 2005 horror movie called Venom, no relation to the uh, Marvel Comics character of the same name. Uh, he did, as Sam mentioned, Silent Hill, which is also not a failed franchise starter, but he did do uh, two 2007 failed franchise starters, I Am Legend and a Trick or Treat. Uh, he did Roland mm. Emmerich's 10,000 BC. He did the 2009 film Solomon Kane. Just like looking through this guy's credentials is seriously just like a who's who of, of, our, of, of our failed franchise starter. This guy might be the king of all failed franchise starters. Solomon Kane is pretty good. Was it? Yeah, I forgot that he did uh, the I Am Legend, where they and he was also all of his stuff with the computer animation. Yeah, yeah, he also was the um, the production designer on uh, both the original cut and Snyder cut of the Justice League. So do with that what you will. I have no yeah. opinion on that. Has has am I the only person who's seen the the Snyder cut? I haven't seen the original cut. <laughs> Yeah, me neither. I've seen okay. neither. Okay. Yeah, I, I've I've uh, completely avoided all the DC movies except for Wonder Woman. Same. Uh, that's and Aquaman. You know Aquaman is kind of fun, and as is Shazam. Aquaman and Shazam kind of fun. Uh, I did want to see Shazam. Yeah, that Aquaman and Shazam are fun, uh, and Aquaman is just like it. Just it, it puts it all out there, which is why that one's so fun. There's there's an octopus that plays the drums, and Julie it's Andrews. Awesome. Julie Andrews voices a kraken. So, like Krakens. I mean, and Julie Andrews. In fact, here's Julie Andrews didn't do the Mary Poppins sequel. There was a cameo written for her in the Mary Poppins sequel. She didn't do it because she'd already signed on to do Aquaman. All Which, right. I mean, that just to me, that's just that's just perfect. Just mwah, Chef's kiss. I love it. I love every second of it. It's great. But yeah. So, what do we think of the design of uh, of Zilla as as this version of the character is is known? I like it. What what do you like about it? What what I mean because it's very much not a traditional design for this character. True, but it's better than a lot of designs we got in the later Toho series where they were just slapping stuff together. Uh, I, I mean, mean, you could tell they definitely had a budget for this movie, right? No, the th I guess uh, to start, we should probably touch some more things before we start talking about the design of Godzilla. We shouldn't open up with that because we should oh. talk about because I appreciate the design. I appreciate Godzilla for it being a standalone interpretation. When I look at it, I'm not really comparing it to the other designs of Godzilla. I mean, it's easy I mean, he, to do because this thing did not spawn is. the franchise they were hoping for. So it's really easy to be like, well, this is no. just kind of a one-off. This is kind of a, a a blip. Well, but then they right. they did 
Toho did canonize this Godzilla eventually, though, didn't they? They did. They did. Yeah. Something did. Sam is very fond of pointing out to anyone <laughs> yes. who will listen. Also, the Japanese didn't quite hate this movie as much as people think, as much as Americans did. And a lot, and as actually, as both of you pointed out earlier, a lot of Americans were reintroduced to Godzilla because of this movie. So Toho, re, that's why Toho did the Millennium Series, because they got enough attention that they actually started to be able to financially make, or sorry, be able to make financially successful movies. So Which it did sense. a lot of good for the franchise. Yeah. Just Despite not a lot in of this country. Right. Even though that Fox cartoon series, that's probably why was pretty dope. I have heard that. I didn't watch the Fox cartoon series, um, but it's I like, heard it's, it was pretty beloved. Oh, it's because it's the perfect combination of what this Frank, what this movie is supposed to be mixed with what Godzilla is supposed to be. Okay. So it's him fighting giant monsters, but all the giant monsters are spawned by, you know, pollution and there are mutated giant creatures that are terrestrial, not some alien stuff. What you know, if Godzilla meets it. Captain Planet kind of a thing? Yes. It okay. was, yeah, it was like very environmentalist type. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. And he had fire breath. He had uh, his atomic breath, which he lacked in this movie. And that's my only critique of the design of Godzilla. Is wow. Did not have radioactive breath. Only critique. Okay, cool. Uh, for the design. Okay. <laughs> There's other critiques of the movie itself. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but I like, how, I like how. Wow. Right. No, I like how spry this one was. I like, I like how like Slinky and how he can. Wiggle in and out of things. It's very clear that they used like actual, like how how an actual iguana moves around to try to, it, that it, that really helped to inspire what this design eventually became. Like because he looks right. like it, this a real big iguana. Yeah, because so this design worked for the story that they wrote. It really did. It if they had they used this story but with more of a traditional looking Godzilla, it wouldn't have worked as well. Okay. Uh, Brett, your thoughts on the design of Zilla? I mean, I, you know, I agree with everything uh, that Sam said. Um, he, look, it's fine. It, I, I, I didn't really care that he looks too much like a T-Rex, but eh. Which I'm sure was also probably somewhat intentional because we're, what, just four years off of Jurassic Park at this point? But, and yeah. if you watch the, uh, the uh, teaser trailer for this movie, which I remember, very, it's burned in my head as a kid because it was the coolest thing ever. They make, they poke fun at Godzilla at the Jurassic Park series. Sure. Because it literally yeah. opens up with this, them talking about dinosaurs with a big skeleton of the T-Rex and then he just stomps through and smashes the T-Rex skeleton. Because of course we know size does matter. Right. This is supposed to be bigger than even Jurassic Park. Right. Yeah. And I mean the entire part with the babies in uh, in Madison Square Garden is just, it's just straight up the raptors. This, I, and right, I wrote it in my right, notes. Kids. This movie owes <laughs> right. so much to Jurassic Park. It's not even funny. Like this movie could not exist without Jurassic Park kind of paving the way. Because you're right, the the Madison Square Garden scene is essentially the Raptors in the kitchen scene. Yeah. Like that's that's all it is. Just extended for like an hour, or not quite an hour, but like twenty minutes. Too long. It was it was a big chunk. It was, I think it's longer than twenty minutes. It was a probably chunk of the movie. It's 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 the major action set piece of the film. For sure, uh, for good or ill. Again, like I'm not. It 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 is what it is. Yeah, we'll get into that later. I'm sure. Uh, I would say for <laughs> ill, but that's my opinion. I mean, same. It's my but. least favorite part of the movie. It's the only part of the movie I don't like. The rest of it is like, yeah, this is a, just a remade Godzilla movie. I'm into it. But that part just takes me right out of it. And I, but I think because it's so much of the movie, it I, that's I think one of the biggest problems of this movie is it can't really decide what its tone wants to be or what it as a film wants to be. 
Like it feels, at least to me, very tonally inconsistent. You guys might disagree, but that's kind of my, that's my hot take on this movie 30 years after the fact. I don't know if that's a hot take. I, that's why I'm saying 20 years after the <laughs> fact, it's not a hot take at all. This is the, that's the joke, as they say. So that, so we've talked a little bit about design. Uh, let's talk about some of the, uh, we mentioned it uh, toward the top of the episode. Let's talk about some of the performances in this movie. Um, our lead performer is the the extremely Greek Matthew Broderick uh, playing the extremely Greek Nico Tatopoulos. Uh, I can't even say yeah. it with a straight face. It <laughs> look, I like Matthew Broderick. Leave him alone. He's look. Matthew Broderick is for 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 a guy who got away with murder. He's fine. Right. Um, you know, he's he is. However, I find him better suited for stage performance than I do for film performance. At some point in his career, he started doing stage work a lot more frequently. And it's yeah. really it really inhibited his his screen work because everything now that I see him in, he's just too big. He's just playing too big. And I think this movie is no exception to that. I don't think he's ever playing anything bigger than he is in the, uh, the producer's remake. Um, mm. uh, the, the, ver- the, the screen version of the stage show, like that is him. Yeah. At, I think at his biggest, because he's literally just doing on screen, what he did on stage and not tempering it for the yeah. medium. It's funny. But, he's the worst part of that movie. I would not disagree with you. He's <sighs> not good. I, but here's the thing. I don't like most of the things about that movie. Like I prefer the original version completely. Nathan Lane, Nathan Lane was the best. <laughs> I said most. I didn't say all. Nathan Lane was okay. absolutely Nathan Lane was pitch perfect for what for what that movie was. Uh pretty yeah. much every other performance but, though I didn't like. Yeah, it's not producers. Let's go back to yeah, sorry. Let's get, sorry to segue there, guys. But no, I think Matthew Broderick is just playing everything way too big, like in this movie. Like he's just he's and that I think I think the other actors kind of feed off of that. And so the energy in the in the film, at least from the performers, just feels really off. Like you've got the scenes with him and Kevin Dunn, everything's pitched up. You've got Vicky Lewis as the the horny scientist, and she is pitched up. And I think everyone's kind of feeding off of off of Broderick, who's pitched up, and he's supposed to be the straight man. So if everyone else is supposed to be playing bigger than him, and he's setting the tone, and he's too big, it just it throws the energy of the whole thing off. It did. It did. I agree with you. So what are we going to talk about who you, the two actors that knew what movie they were in and had all the best lines. I would say one actor knew what movie he was in. It's Just genre one. Now. It's absolutely John Renault. Yeah. John well, Renault's yeah. the only guy who's like, I know exactly what this is. And he's just, he's dialed right in and he knows exactly where he is at all times. And every time he's on the screen, I'm like, great. I'm in good hands. John Renault's doing his thing. Matthew right. Broderick. Matthew Broderick's going too big, but Jean Reno's pitched right down the center of what this movie is. And if every movie had followed, if every actor in this movie had followed his lead, this thing could potentially be a masterpiece. Like, yeah, and his acting actually made the uh, the final parts, like with the Madison Square Garden stuff and on, kind of bizarre to watch because it seemed like it was kind of got surreal. It suddenly became the Jean Reno show because he was so level headed and knew what was going on, but everyone else seemed like they were like complete idiots <laughs> compared to him. Yeah. So the whole escaping from the big Godzilla and stuff, like it was just, I don't know, it's bizarre. Yeah. Bizarre John, John Renault should have been the star of this movie. Yes. Uh, and this should have launched John Renault into a much more lucrative Hollywood career. Um, Which he came off. When would, when did Leon the professional come out? Like, okay. was, Bro- was Broderick's star power that big at that time? 
let's Over talk Renault's? let probably because Renault's French. But let's talk Renault. Yeah, but let's let's talk Renault right now. Um, so we're yeah. gonna go all the way back to the 90s. So Leon the Professional, his big breakthrough in American cinema was 1994. And then he follows that. He's in French Kiss in 95, which is that Kevin Klein rom-com. And then in 96, he does Mission Impossible, which i that's how I was first introduced to Jean Renault. After that, he does some films I've never heard of. This So this is his next big American film would be Godzilla. The year after that, he's in Ronin, which is the Robert De Niro action film. Yes. Uh, Robert De Niro, Sean Bean, directed by John Frankenheimer, uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Interesting cast. Jonathan Price. Interesting cast in that one. Uh, weird. Um, and then he kind of goes back to, uh, there's some other films I've never heard of. Crimson Rivers, Just Visiting, Wasabi, uh, Just Visiting. I feel like that's one I should know. Uh, he was in Onimusha 3, which is a PlayStation 2 video game of a uh, Resident Evil, but with Samurais. And he was in the third installment of that. And that was actually a pretty big deal back in the day when that game come out, came out. Okay. I actually have that game that. still on my shelf. Yeah. It was a huge deal that he was in that because they are like, oh, crap, you're getting like actual movie stars to be models in the video games and to do the voice acting. That's crazy. And it was a pretty big game. Uh, he did the the John McTiernan Rollerball remake in 2002. Uh, he was Mufasa in The Lion King Read Along in 2003, which was a video short. Uh, Onimusha 3. Uh, he's in Hotel Rwanda, uncredited. Um, and after this, like his stuff, it, his roles become a little more sporadic. So he's in the Pink Panther, the Steve Martin Pink Panther remakes uh, starting in 2006. He is in the Da Vinci Code also in 2006. Flyboys in 2006, flushed away. So 2006, big year for Jean Renault in terms of showing up and stuff. Uh, he does Couples Retreat in 2009. Uh, so I mean, he never really gets like the big star vehicles like he like the only film he leads really of all of those is leon the professional and that's 94 and i think the main reason he's the lead in that one is because it's directed by a french filmmaker luc besson i don't think he would uh, hollywood doesn't seem like they quite know what to do with him despite him always showing up and turning in really good performances it's almost like they expected him to be the next gerard depardieu and He's not Gerard Depardieu at all. He's way better than Gerard Depardieu, I would say. I mean, between between the three of us and whoever might be listening, Jean Reno better than Gerard Depardieu. Although they've both gotten into this like late stage in their career where they're both just getting fat and not really caring, um, which, you know, more power to him, I guess. Jean Reno in uh, in Five Bloods last year looked uh, looked pretty porky, and I was okay with it. Sure. You watch that. You do. So it's do really I. Good. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. That was, that was my favorite movie of last year. So do with that information nice. what you will. Um, but yeah, so no, John Renault, best performance in this movie for me. Honestly, I will go so far to say only good performance in this movie. I would argue there's one other performance by an actor that uh, had every all the best lines. And it I would, would be uh, Michael Lerner. Okay. And I, I like Michael Lerner. I do. I think he's really good. I don't think the role was particularly good. Uh, for him here, he, of course, so there's this weird subset of movies that exist of filmmakers who use the films that they're making to fire back on critics that didn't like their previous movies. Uh, you've got movies like The Ref, which has a character named Siskel. 
Uh, you've got this movie. Birdman is another weird one where they just put uh, Lady in the Water is another one where they put like critics in the movie and then just the filmmakers just spend the whole movie just crapping all over them. Um, and so in this one, you've got Mayor Ebert played by Michael Lerner and his uh, sycophantic uh, yes man, Gene, who at the end of the day gives Mayor Ebert a big thumbs down, much like the actual Gene Siskel gave this movie a uh, big thumbs down. Uh, in fact, I have written in my notes, I looked up Ebert's comments on uh, his his quote-unquote cameo in this film. Uh, Roger Ebert, oh, here's what he had to say about the movie itself. Uh, Roger Ebert said, Godzilla plays like they took apart six other monster movies, threw out the good parts, and then tried to reassemble what was left in the dark, which I thought was really funny. Um, right? <laughs> I mean, got handed to Raj. He he had a, he had good lines, and both both Siskel and Ebert were upset that their on-screen counterparts were not killed by Godzilla. They were actually more upset. They were they were less upset that someone put them in the movie. Although they're like, I mean, that kind of takes everybody out of the movie when you see that. But then, like to put us in a in a monster movie and then not have the monster like step on us, that's the ultimate insult. Which I honestly, found I would feel hilarious. the same way. I'd feel the same way if I get yeah. put into something. You know, because whatever. I hope I die. <laughs> I want to die in everything I'm in. So I mean, that fun. can be arranged. You you are yeah. an aspiring filmmaker, so you could probably do that to yourself. Right. It's like why is he so scathing to himself? Good lord. Talk about self depreciation. For sure. For sure. All right. So, but yeah, I I agree. Michael Lerner is is good in this movie, and I kept expecting him to die because I didn't remember this movie. And then at the end, when he lives to the end, I was like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. But there is there's bit. something very Giuliani about uh, about Michael Lerner's Mayor Ebert in this. And I don't yeah. think it was intentional at the time. But uh, he like knowing what we know now about Rudy, I was kind of like this. Mayor Ebert seems very Rudy Giuliani to me. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that was intentional or not. But there we go. Oh, they had such great lines. Like I really love the line where they blow up the Chrysler building and the guy and the guy over the speaker says, that's a negative hit. He says, negative hit. It's a goddamn Chrysler building. <laughs> like that part was so good. Oh my God. That's a great line. That's just some good disaster movie lines right there. Right. And unfortunately this script doesn't have enough of them. Um, right. It, it has lines. It thinks it's funny that, that it thinks are funny, but are really not. And it gives most of those lines to Hank Azaria. Yeah, uh, who I'm very dis. I was very disappointed was not able to pull off most of those lines. Yeah, my my issue with the dialogue is I give uh, Matthew Broderick a lot of just uh, we're going to explain to you what we just saw this over and over again. Is we're going to give lines to Matthew Broderick, he's going to tell the entire audience what we just saw with our own eyes. Yep, and we're going to move on like he's the expert. Well, well, why, why did he, he need to explain the pregnancy test? We know how pregnancy tests that work. We know exactly what he's doing. You didn't have to go out and explain it in detail to someone. I mean, we but just I, saw the giant footprint he was standing in. He didn't need to tell us three times. That's a giant footprint back there. Right. Yes. That, that too, that threw me off. There's, but, it's, it's like they don't, first of all, there's, there's a, a law in filmmaking. Assume your audience is stupid. One, but this movie like depends on its audience to be stupid. In fairness, it's Roland Emmerich who is like the king of the stupid blockbusters um, even at this point, that's kind of what he's known for, like Stargate and Independence Day were his Which two. are not stupid, they're awesome. Agreed, agreed. Okay. Independence Day is an amazing film and is the pinnacle of all disaster films. But it's not a movie that really trusts its audience to like be, it's not, it's not a hyper-intelligent movie. It kicks a lot of ass, 
Don't get me wrong. It's not a super smart movie. Um, It's just like, hey, look, there's aliens. Let's blow them up. Okay, cool. Great. America. I don't need to, I don't need to be smart to understand that. Like that's kind of what I mean. Like, right, right, right. This is not a Nolan film, like where you have to be at least somewhat intelligent to be able to like piece (laughs) stuff together, you know, walking out of movies. Like I didn't get it. What happened? Yeah. I would argue that Nolan makes movies for stupid people. Have you seen Tenet yet? I have watched part of it. I thought this is so dumb. I can't even bother. Tenet is like a Nolan movie with the training wheels taken off, I I think, because he's just like, all right, you, you guys complain that I explain everything too much. Have fun. Uh, and which is why so many people are, I didn't get it. What was it? What was so wait, Was it Robert Pattinson? Was that guy? I don't understand. I think my problem with him is that it boils down to there's actually nothing to get. <laughs> Touche. Touche. Um, but I but I don't know. I Roland Emmerich never been a filmmaker that I took terribly seriously although he does make some really great action movies um but uh, this movie seems like poised to talk down to its audience and i think matthew broderick's character is the epitome of that think about how much money you could save by just cutting these lines out but here's the thing if you cut all those lines out then you've got a lead actor with nothing to do and you're paying him all this money to do nothing like that's a problem I suppose like this is this is Matthew Broderick. Let, so we we didn't really talk about what led Matthew Broderick to this moment. He is, uh, I would probably start in 94 when he's in The Lion King. Uh, he does The Road to Wellville, which is that movie about um, the Kellogg. Um, and then he does The Cable Guy in 96, Addicted to Love in 97. So he's he is kind of in the public eye. Those are all fairly with the exception probably of Road to Wellville, those are all fairly big movies that people actually saw. So if you need a star to headline your movie, why not pick Matthew Broderick? Um, But he's just not right for this movie, just for many, many reasons. He's just not right for this movie. And this movie is mid cast then. Yes, very much so. Very much so. And then after this, he does election, which is very good. Uh, And then inspector gadget. And then it's pretty much just off the rails. Like yeah. um, he, it's it's a lot of kind of weird, vague stuff after that. Would have think, either of you seen Daybreak on Netflix? Uh, no, yeah. uh, he's actually really great. Oh, in that oh, show. Sorry, yes the uh, the uh, the zombie the the, the, the post apocalyptic sort of zombie show the zoomer zombie show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I have I have, and he is I I would agree very good in that show. Hmm. Never heard of it. So, yeah, it's it's not bad. It's not bad. It's fun. It's fun. It's a fun time. I had a good time. Election did not do very good at the box office, but it's got a bit of a cult following, right? I like Election a lot. No, I like it too. I think that's one of his best, his best movie. But yeah, I would, I would potentially agree with you. I need to rewatch Ferris Bueller, but I would say it's, it's definitely a top two performance for Matthew Broderick and it utilizes the big stuff that he is doing that he tends to do in movies really well. Like he goes pretty big in that movie, but it works for what that movie is. Very right, right. So yeah, I, I certainly would agree with you on that front. Um, but you know, it's it's the stuff he gets into later. I think the last probably big movie that he was in was The Producers. And the reason that one was so big was just because that musical had been so big on on Broadway. But I don't think he's particularly good in it as yeah. as previously as said. Absolutely so, the worst part of the movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do we want to talk about Maria Patillo at all? Who? <laughs> yeah, who? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay. Um, she, uh, 
I don't know. I, she's doing the best she can, I guess. I don't know. This this movie doesn't do her any favors, which is is kind of a bummer. Honestly, this movie doesn't do right by its cast, I would say, at all. But did she deserve a Razzie for that? Was that really needed to be Razzie? Like, in the context of the movie, was it really that bad of a performance? No. It was, well, and I have a lot of issues with the Razzies because mostly the Razzies are about punching down. It's, it's, yeah. there's, there's no actual criticism that goes into it. It's just kind of a big <laughs> kind of a, kind of a right. thing. And it, I don't know, it, it never strikes me as anything legitimate. It's just an excuse to punch down at big stars. And they made Eddie Murphy quit acting. So yeah. <laughs> for a while. Right. So, I mean, I just, I don't have any love for the Razzies. I don't really give them any kind of, um, uh, any kind of uh, sh- uh, shake or shrift or anything. So I don't know. I, I hear that uh, performance was one a Razzie and I'm like, well, that's, I don't care, I guess. Uh, yeah. It doesn't mean anything to me. I hear it too. And I'm like, because most like, for example, for this, they say, oh, she won a Razzie. It doesn't, I don't think that, you know, she did a terrible job. Right. <laughs> so it doesn't mean anything. Uh, this movie uh, won a three-way tie, for example, for worst remake or sequel along with Psycho and the Avengers. So any awards body that does a three-way tie just so they can punch down at three movies at the same time. Right. Um, hard to take them seriously, really. I've heard people defend the Psycho remake, but I've not seen it. And I like the Avengers. Uh, I've never seen the Avengers, although it is a movie we will probably discuss one of these days, potentially. Maybe. Makes sense. That would be one. Yeah. Um, but I've, I, and I've also not seen the Gus Van Zandt. So I only just saw the original Psycho for the first time, like last year. So hmm. it'll probably be another 30 years before I sit down and watch the Gus Van Zandt psycho if if that if that timeline is any indication so about psycho two three and four no i haven't watched seen the franchise any of those. no I maybe either. maybe maybe i will maybe i probably won't though let's be honest yeah. uh, let me check and see if there are any major notes that i had anything that we've really missed yeah, uh, i don't i don't think this movie deserves to be with those other two like i don't think it's that bad I don't. Right. I don't know that any of those movies are that quote unquote. No, no, they're not. I I was honestly pleasantly surprised. I went into this thinking it was going to be super bad, and yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. It's not. It's really not. Even if you take it out of the context of the Godzilla, it's still a pretty decent creature feature, just with bad character characterization. Yeah, I. I mean, I didn't. I didn't like this movie. That probably doesn't surprise either one of the, you. The effects are pretty good. The pacing was really good for the most part. If you actually take like an editing pacing, oh, it's actually there's a lot of tension, a lot of buildup to Godzilla. That it's pretty good. It's solid. And then the helicopter chase through the city was really freaking cool, except for the final ending where they could have just flown upwards. Uh, I mean, yeah, at that point they kind of forget how three dimensions work. Right. I was like, yeah. The fact that they like lose him in the city, like, look, he's a giant lizard creature. How do you? I don't care about the subways and underground and all that crap. Look, he, he's a giant lizard. How and also, like, his size kind of varies depending on what they need the creature to do. Like, if they need him to fit in a subway tunnel, he's this size. But if they need him to rampage through the city, he's this size. Right. Like, so there's no consistency with. I take the size that. That's a criticism that, you know, how do you lose Godzilla in the city? And they kind of poke fun of that in the movie itself. So I, I for me, take that to be a really, uh, so like, a uh, they're stepping back. They're making a criticism of the American military in this movie. They're trying, like, I think of it, because most of the Godzilla movies, all those Godzilla, Godzilla is a criticism or makes a social statement or a commentary. Whether That's it be all on good government, sci-fi monster film should. Whether it be on uh, the government, like, bureaucracy with Shin Godzilla, nuclear testing with original Godzilla, uh, the communist threat with godzilla 84 i feel like this one's making a uh, 
a uh, jab at the American military in 98. Which is not a, really a time when people were taking too many jabs at the American military, quite frankly. Right. And when they probably should have. Because <laughs> fast forward a couple, a uh, few years, uh, things are right. good. Right, right. Uh, as things don't tend to be. Um, right. And and I don't know if that contributed to this movie's poor box office or, or what. No, I don't think anyone's thought about that except for me. Just trying to salvage something. I mean, well, and, and I mean, here's the thing. There's... I, I don't, if, if that is the point of the movie, I don't know that it's ultimately terribly successful no. um, is, is kind of what I was, is, is kind of where I end up coming down. Like, I don't, if that is the critique is trying to make, and I'm not saying that it is, and maybe it is, maybe it's not, I don't know. Right. I don't know that it's terribly successful in, on that front. I, um, which is again, part of that tonal inconsistency. Like right. there are things in this movie that you can tell were supposed to be played for laughs that just completely fall flat the energy level of the performances is completely off. Like it just, it doesn't seem at least in terms of tone and energy, it's not a consistent whole, which is where I, this movie eventually lost me. Um, like I was on board. I was ready. I was like, I want to reclaim Godzilla 98. I want it to be good. And at the end of the day, I was like, this is, this is not what I was expecting or hoping it would be. It's, it's, it is in fact bad. Yeah. Like I said, I don't think, they could have been, I don't know, I don't think they intentionally tried to make it a jab at the military. I just think it's something that may have organically came from a really weird script. I don't and, know. There, there was Patterson is the one character that's like a really inept soldier that ac- accidentally ends up doing a good job. Yeah, ends up saving the day at the very end. And everyone's like, good job. And he's like, thank you, sir. <laughs> right. And yeah, you're I mean, like, really? That that's, a little, that's a little on the nose. I mean, I, I think there might have been a little bit of something there. Like there's something to that because you're onto something. There's no real buildup to that moment, like at all. Uh, yeah. Also, the joke that all the French people in this na- in this movie, with the exception of Jean Reno's character, are named Jean something, Jean Luc, Jean Claude, Jean Pierre. Yeah. Uh, that was a funny little joke. Uh, uh, there was one one instance of humor that I thought worked in this movie. There's one joke that blew my mind. Was even a joke in this movie, and it pissed me off. Uh, they can't find a decent cup of coffee in New York City. Right. Right. Yeah. In New that, York City of all that, the cities in this country, you can't find a good cup of coffee there. Yeah. Doesn't does not compute. No. Um, it, it's like going it's like saying the joke being you can't find a decent cup of coffee in Seattle or in right. the entire country of Columbia. Right. Um, yeah. I, no, I mean, and, and maybe it's just maybe that's a joke at the the very finicky tastes of the French people. Uh, which strikes me as a little weird of a joke to be making in this movie. But I mean, Roland Emmerich is German. So maybe it's just like a, a, a European in joke amongst Europeans. I don't know. Maybe. I feel like that's, that's maybe me giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt in that instance. Well, Cause they make the joke twice, they you do. know, there's the joke in the truck and then in the apartment or the hotel room later. I thought this was French roast. Yeah. So yeah I think they make twice. it actually like three, four times. Three or four times. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so. there's actually a couple, it was a lot more than I expected or than I remember. Cause I remember, I remember that I thought this was French roast, but then there was more, two more. And then they topped it off with that lady at the apartment, making them coffee and he liked the coffee. Yeah, that, that that's what we call uh, a running gag with a final payoff note. That's yeah. what we call that. Funny um, how that works. Yes, if funny. that's what that <laughs> if you want to call that that. If, if that's what we want to call it, that's what we're gonna call it. I don't know. Sure. Um do uh so marketing for this movie. This this movie was everywhere, like literally everywhere. Um, just in terms of the the TV spots, 
the the fast food tie-ins i mean this movie was all over the place uh the taco bell commercials are the ones that i probably remember the most and probably did the most for this movie the ones with the the at the time very popular taco bell chihuahua with the box uh that says free tacos going here lizard 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 and then godzilla walking by and him saying we're gonna need a bigger box yeah i remember all of those very well so would you say that because i remember the marketing quite well oh yeah from my small age and you do too would you say that you're a little disappointed with the final design after all that build up, all that hype, you're just a little, eh, it's all right. You can only be disappointed after all that hype. There's there's right. nowhere to go after all that build up, but down. You keep yeah. talking about how size matters, then you get that and you're like, oh, it's not and that I, big. I remember where I was when I, and the image of Godzilla that I think they first released was this one that I have on my background behind me or one very similar to it. And the, I remember seeing the image. I was in my, see, 98, I would have been in, I would have been a freshman in high school. Um, toward the end of my freshman year of high school, we were in the computer lab and someone pulled it up on their computer and it was, oh my word, they released a picture. It was like the week the film came out. And it was like, oh my word, they released the, the image of Godzilla. And we all like rushed to the computer and we're standing around it. And we all kind of went collectively, that's it? That That's what we've been waiting for? Uh, like it just kind of felt like a deflation. So after that, yeah. the movie could only be a disappointment. Right, this movie had an outstanding that. marketing team. They marketed a movie the way a movie should be marketed. Just the movie wasn't what the movie should have been. No. Live up to that marketing. No, and I don't think any movie could live up to that to that kind of marketing. Right. Um, like even because I think this was a time when there were really big marketing pushes that we just don't see anymore. Like episode one had a very similar marketing push like the next year uh, in that it was the marketing for episode one was everywhere, like everywhere you went. And you had three different restaurants, the Tricon restaurants of Taco Bell, KFC and Pizza Hut, all marketing the same. So you got like three times the commercials. Pepsi had the tie-in cans. It was everywhere in much the same way this movie was. And so at the end of the day, you're just like, I mean, could any movie stack up? And and I think whenever we got those big marketing pushes, the movies were almost always disappointments. And so they eventually just kind of stopped doing it. But this is very indicative of that late 90s time period where we would just have these huge epic marketing pushes for these movies that ended up being, for all intents and purposes, pretty mediocre. You know, they kind of used the same marketing tactic for Godzilla 2014 by hyping up this whole Brian Cranston versus Godzilla thing. Yeah, which we mentioned a couple episodes ago in our Rampage episode. Yeah. I wanted to see Heisenberg take on Godzilla, and that's not yeah. what that movie was. No, so. we got the worst possible cast to take on Godzilla. Which, that, that's considering the cast of this movie, is saying something. Oh, no, yeah. I would actually argue this cast is better than Godzilla 2014's cast. Wow. I mean, any cast with Aaron Taylor Johnson in it, you gotta you gotta stop and think about what you're doing. But yeah, yeah, yeah right, right. We've had Peter Evans. Just put Peter Evans in there. Basically, uh, it's the Quicksilver from the X Men movies. Evan Peters, you mean? Evan Peters, yeah, whatever. Yes, <laughs> I apologize, Evan Peters. I got your name literally backwards. <laughs> Mike Peter Evans, who's that? Evan Peters, though, I know who that guy is. Yes, <laughs> right. He's a gem. Yeah, he's great. He's a great guy. Yeah. Evan Peters, come on the podcast. Please, we do Please. love you. Please. <laughs> I don't even know he sometimes get your name backwards. I mean, you gotta understand. We, we won't have Sam on that episode. Don't worry. He's, oh, no. <laughs> Sam's like, no, what have I done? <laughs> it's my only chance to meet him. 
Curses. Um, but I read a stat somewhere. $80 million was probably uh, around the number spent just on the marketing for this movie. Uh, and this movie was Impressive. everywhere. And it was kind of the first major blockbuster of the season, um, honestly. Did it get its uh, money back? Would you say this is a financially successful movie? I would not say this is a financially successful movie. Not when you're spending that much on marketing. No, because uh, so ultimately, I think this movie maybe just made its budget back. So ultimately a loss when you consider um, the marketing as well. Domestically, we're looking at 136 million. Uh, international, a little bit more, 239 million for a, a worldwide box office total of 376 million. Uh, so ultimately, not super successful. I believe that it made most of its money uh, domestically within that opening weekend, because if I remember right, something else came out the following week that just tanked everyone else's box office. Uh, so it opens uh, the weekend of May 22nd, 1998. It opens at number one. Uh, earns a uh, for, earns forty four million in its opening weekend, which is about an average of thirteen point three per screen, thirteen point three thousand dollars per screen. In second place, number one the week before is Deep Impact. Uh, then you've got it number three, The Horse Whisperer, because uh, you know what if there was a horse whisperer? Uh, and then uh, in number four, you've got the Warren the weird Warren Beatty does politics movie, uh, Bullworth. Uh, which is a really, really weird movie. Uh, and then in number five, the uh, Warner Brothers animated film Quest for Camelot, uh, trying to get those sweet, sweet Disney dollars and ultimately failing. Uh, rounding out the top 10, you've got the opening weekend of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas at number six. Uh, Titanic in its 23rd week, hanging in at number seven, because that movie was insanely popular. Uh, the Nicholas, What If Nicholas Cage Were an Angel movie, uh, City of Angels at number eight. Uh, the Spike Lee joint, he got game at number nine and the DreamWorks movie about a talking parrot, Polly, rounding out the top 10. That is so such a what, 90s top 10, right? Good Lord. Like, what, uh, what happened in the second week? Do you know? Uh, let me let me see if I can get the next chart pulled up here. So the 29th, uh, obviously not what you're thinking, because Godzilla is actually number one, two weeks in a row. So it's it's is it's it now? OK. Yeah, it's number one through the end of the month. Uh, however, two movies come out on June 5th that knock it down a couple of pegs. Uh, that is the Peter Weir film, The Truman Show, and another little movie called A Perfect Murder. Uh, what if there was a perfect murder, uh, which is based <laughs> on, um, it looks like it was based on Hitchcock's Dial M for Murder. Mm. So there you go. That, that's what okay. ultimately knocks Godzilla off its two-week pedestal. <laughs> Weird. Okay, that's not what I was thinking of happened then. What what movie were you thinking came along to I you? I thought there was a I can't remember. I thought there was like a Disney movie or something that came out. Mulan comes out June 19th and it opens actually at number 2 behind the X-Files Fight the Future. Weird. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I heard X-Files fans I kind of like Mulan better. Uh, and then uh, the next week, uh, Mulan stays at number two. X-Files drops down to number three. And Dr. Doolittle in its first week opens at number one. Speaking of Eddie Murphy, as we were. So, yeah, right? Damn, didn't deserve that. No, okay. it didn't. No, it didn't. Um, the Metacritic uh, score. Oh, I forgot to pull up Rotten Tomatoes. How dare I? I usually pull up the, the tomatometer first. Uh, so the tomatometer score on this one was 15%. Uh, with the audience score of 28%. So no one really liked this movie. 
the critics' consensus without compelling characters or heart. Godzilla stomps on everything that made the original or any monster movie worth its salt a classic. Uh, the Metacritic score is a 32 based on 23 favorable or I'm sorry, unfavorable critic reviews. And the letterbox score is a 2.1. Uh, what did we end up scoring this film out of five? Sam, as our guest, we'll let you go first. Did you give this film a rating out of five? I give it two out of five. Two out of five, Brett? Uh, I gave it two and a half. Two and a half, a little more favorable. I give it a one and a half. So we all kind of land on the low side on this one. Uh, unsurprisingly, yeah. we, we all had some pretty major critiques on this one. Like there's some good elements to it. Like I said, the pacing, the special effects were all good. Jean Renault is really amazing. But Jean Renault is where that extra half star comes from. For right. Me. But it's ultimately, different. there's a lot of weak points that kind of just don't make it worth watching too much. Like it's a movie I watch again and enjoy it, but it's it's got flaws. But yeah, that's, it's yeah. so close. It, it's so close. Yeah. To being really good. But it just too many things have gone wrong and it just went off the rails. And, yeah. And like we said, this was supposed to be a trilogy of films like that was the original conceit. It was going to be a trilogy. Uh, but this movie was so poorly received uh, that it it all stopped here, which is why we're talking about it at which, all. It didn't quite all stop there. As I mentioned earlier, that 1998 Godzilla cartoon. The only reason that actually eventually went off the air because it was one of Fox Kids most popular shows. The only reason the thing that killed that was Pokemon. Pokemon Digimon came out after two seasons. Sure. So, and there, I mean, yeah, there you go. That'll, that'll kill anything. Yes, um, it will. So, it, I mean, it, it killed the film franchise, but got this, uh, the spirit of this for, lived on for a couple more years anyway through the animated series, which yes. is worth noting. It is. Um, and it's worth watching. It's, uh, it is, it is, like I said, the pinnacle of what this is supposed to be mixed with what Godzilla is supposed to be. Is You're it getting, streaming anywhere? It's not. I tried to watch some episodes. I had to read a brief synopsis to remind myself what the show is about, that all those memories were coming flooding back, but I couldn't find it streaming anywhere. That's a bummer. Yeah, it's really good. Because it sounds it sounds interesting. It sounds yeah. like something I would want to give a watch. So it is. It's got that amazing uh 90s Fox animation style that's like kind of realistic. Remember like Big Boy or a uh, Big Guy and Rust of the Boy Robot and stuff like that. Okay. I can get behind that. that was... Yeah, or like the Men in Black cartoon. It's I got did, a lot of that I style. Do you remember enjoying the Men in Black cartoon? Indeed, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, any other major Godzilla points that we want to talk about regarding this movie? I do. I want to segue in a little bit of something here because a lot of people, again, this was the starting point. This is the, uh, this is a lot of people's first introduction to Godzilla. And as I mentioned, it gave them such enough uh, interest that Toho was able to make a whole nother franchise, the Godzilla Millennium Era. But what's interesting is a lot of people criticize this and say this is not a Godzilla movie. If we go back and listen to our own podcast we just recorded for the last however many hours, we also talk about the tonal inconsistencies of this movie. But mm-hmm. if you go back and you watch the Toho movies in order, Toho has no idea what this franchise is even supposed to be. That's hilarious to me. Because it's sure, like for me, the impression I've always had from Godzilla is that they the uh, first movie came out, it's supposed to be a real horror movie. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be scary, and there's a lot of effort put into it. And it definitely but, qualifies as a horror movie, I would say. Right, but the but the writers and the directors are also the ones making all the like it's the same people making the goofy, shitty Godzilla movies later on down the series. So they have no idea what they want it to be. And I think the problem is, is uh, there's a little show that came out in the '60s called Ultraman. Uh, and when that came out, and I've been watching that, and I can say that is very high quality stuff there for okay. 60s Japanese stuff. So the entire time Toho is trying to play catch up 
that Godzilla is iconic to us, but it's not the most iconic kaiju figure over there. Even I mean, he is, but Ultraman and Kamen Rider stuff like that were so much more, uh, so much more well made and much more violent and action packed that mm-hmm. the entire time Toe has always been trying to play keep up, and they can never decide is this supposed to be a real like serious monster series, or are we trying to appeal to the kids and make it a goofy show? And I can, I mean that, and that. Hollywood does something similar where, hey, if there's a popular thing, let's chase whatever the popular thing is, which is why, you know, for the past decade, Hollywood's just been trying to start every shared cinematic universe possible because the MCU is really popular. So let's just everybody just do that thing, Um, regardless of whether or not they can actually make it work, which so I mean, you say that and that definitely that definitely makes sense. It it is an important piece of context. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this movie Honestly, this movie is very much a what if Roland Emmerich made a monster movie because right. it's it's very much the stuff that he was doing with Stargate and Independence Day and stuff he would continue to go on doing. Like he became kind of the the king of the disaster movie. And that's uh, why he got the job. That's why that's why I mentioned that, you know, the Toho producers uh, executives left him, didn't say a word. They were so just devastated. But they yeah. called him back because they thought because they told themselves, they told each other, they said, it's Roland Emmerich. He's going to bring in the money. He's yeah. going to make this disaster movie. This isn't what we want, but this is what's going to make us money. And that's what they needed. Toho's always in their history. If you like read their stuff, they're always trying to play catch up. They're not a very financially stable production company. I think since 2000, they've been a little bit better, but they've always been playing catch up and they needed that. They needed this. I mean, I'm, and, honestly, that's consistent with where they're going now because the announcement that was made a few years ago is, hey, we're going to do a shared cinematic universe. It's coming. Yeah. Um, Honestly, if I can make a prediction, so we're recording this the Sunday before Kong versus God or Godzilla versus Kong comes out and the, all the stuff that's been coming out is that one of those characters will actually lose. My money is on Godzilla losing, even though it doesn't really make sense. If only because I think the rights are going to revert back to Toho and they're going to want to do something with that character. That that's kind of been where my, my thinking has been. So I'm going to put it on the record. Now Godzilla dies. And he's going to be resurrected by Toho and they're going to do their worlds of Godzilla shared cinematic universe thing over there. My bet is uh, it's Mecha Godzilla. Mine as well. That's been my prediction as well. Because it's literally following the exact same plot of every Mecha Godzilla movie is, hey, Godzilla's acting kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's yeah. going on? 100%. Yeah, you, you mentioned that to me after the very first trailer for the movie dropped, Sam. You're like, it, it's Mecha Godzilla. Yeah. And I was like, explain. And you're like, well, it, I mean, Godzilla's acting weird. That's literally the plot of every Mecha Godzilla movie. I was like, okay. As right. someone who's never seen a Mecha Godzilla movie before. <laughs> also, it was, it, it's funny. Mecha Godzilla's iconic. I've watched all the Mecha Godzilla movies. I hate all of them. Okay. <laughs> Those are like the worst ones. So if you had to rank like your favorite monsters that Godzilla fights, who would, what would be like your top five? Uh, top five ones he fights. Well, you and know, what? this is just me off the top of my head. Just you know, off top of having having rewatched the Toe series, I have fallen in love with Mothra. Okay, like because what Mothra stands for and everything, I just love it. I love Ma- Mothra. Mothra she is my favorite. It. Mothra yeah. is my favorite as That's well. It's a solid. She's it's a, she is a solid monster, and like their movies are always totally consistent. Like you know who Mothra is. She is the guardian of Earth, like the people, uh, the environment. So she's kind of. I like Mothra a lot. Um, Ghidorah is always a classic. Uh, funny, a lot of people hate Godzilla versus the sea monster, which is the giant crab one, because Godzilla doesn't show up until an hour into the movie. Is that is that a Bira, the horror of the it, deep? Yes, it is. is. Different. Okay. Yes, yeah, so and that is the one I had on VHS, and that is one that I love. Okay. Fair I love enough. It. Yeah. 
It's just, right. it's fun. It's a groovy movie. It's got a lot of sixties, like surf rock. Okay. I can get behind it, man. I can, yeah. I can appreciate it. Uh, so, I mean, they're top three. That's a decent, that's a decent top three. Uh, do you have any strong feelings about like Rodan? I actually didn't like Rodan until I watched Godzilla, uh, King of the Monsters. Okay. I thought, oh, good. Rodan's kind of cool. Uh, actually, I will say that my favorite incarnation of Ghidorah is in Godzilla, King of the Monsters. He's pretty cool there. Because that CG, the CG actually worked very well for the Serpentine. That's one of those points where computer animation actually was better than puppetry. Yeah, I, I would agree. I thought um, it was very well done. I Godzilla King of the Monsters, I was kind of a mixed bag because I liked the the monster fights, but I didn't yeah. feel like there was anything to really grab hold of. Yeah. Um, this is like the, a, There was no like emotional core to the movie, and I was kind of like, well, this... I mean, it wasn't. And what was happening... Just a lot of spectacle, so... Didn't make sense, yeah. Uh, right. But actually, as I was just talking, I just thought of another Godzilla creature I like. Uh, the Godzilla animated movies on Netflix, their mm-hmm. version of Mechagodzilla is, I think, my favorite version of Mechagodzilla. Okay, fair enough. Bunch of like nanobots. Although something tells me I have a feeling that the Mechagodzilla that will be showing up in this movie uh, dropping today as of the time of this release, um, it might might usurp it as your favorite version of Mechagodzilla. If maybe if, 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 well. I mean, because if it is Mechagodzilla, <laughs> I, how can it not be? Right. I mean, th- there was like a teaser image that was released of like one of the creature's eyes and it's like the reflection in the eyes is of something with glowing red eyes, uh, something mechanical with glowing red eyes. So yeah, it's, it's almost certainly Mecha Godzilla. Yeah. Um, well, but of course, by the time this episode drops, we'll know for sure. Uh, by the time most of our listeners are listening to it, hopefully we haven't spoiled anything for you, but maybe we will. I don't know. Uh, it's but all yeah. speculation. It's not spoilers. We're just yeah, speculating. Absolutely. Right? We, we it, have uh, no inside knowledge of this whatsoever. It, right. And every single person has been making the same speculation. Right. Like, what we're saying here is nothing new. Right. I'm getting spam constant YouTube videos of like, oh, they revealed Mechagodzilla. You know, it's not. It's some YouTuber is. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, it's based on all the information that we have from the previous films and the trailers. Mechagodzilla seems like the most likely option. Given- I know. I, I appreciate they're leaning hard into not revealing Mechagodzilla. If it is Mechagodzilla, that they're really pumping up the Godzilla versus King Kong fight. Yeah, which honestly, that's the thing I'm most excited to see because, yeah. like I said, I'm I'm a King Kong fan. I'm I'm the only King Kong fan on this podcast. It's true. Um, I absolutely despise King Kong because I hate monkeys. But fun fact: Kong Skull Island is my favorite of the current <laughs> uh, American movies out there. It's it's probably the best one. Despite if I'm being it, real, real honest, despite its obvious glaring flaws, it's pretty good. <laughs> and they those flaws are glaring and obvious. But yeah, I mean, I'm like like I said on my last episode, like I said on the first episode of this this month. I like King Kong, so I'm 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 the lone member of Team Kong on this, and that's part of the reason why I think if one of those two monsters is going to fall, just both for the rights reasons with Toho getting ready to start their own franchise or restart their own franchise, uh, and then um, also the you know the fact that they can make more movies with Kong if they want, uh, yeah. it leads me to believe that it's probably going to be Godzilla falling. Um, of course, they may do the but Mechagodzilla is kind of Godzilla, and then. Techno, okay, you got me on a technicality there, movie. Right. Well, so. I kind of want to. Uh, Plus, it's not the only time that a filmmaker has lied to us before the movies come out. So, <coughs> Godzilla 2014. <laughs> Pick a movie. Like, no, that's not Khan in our movie. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch right. isn't playing Khan, or uh, no. What, this what, isn't what, an what, Aliens movie. Right. What are you talking about? This isn't an Aliens movie. No, uh, Marion Cotillard <laughs> is not playing Talia Al Ghul. What are you talking about? Like, it. What? What are you talking? Christoph Waltz isn't isn't Blofeld? No, why? We wouldn't do that. It's so much more interesting than that. Plot twist. Uh, yeah. 
so why can't these new Godzilla movies get the casting power that any <laughs> that 98 had and that King uh, Skull, I'm sorry, Kong, King of Skull Island has? Like, and there's see, just no star power that I care about. You're not wrong. Like, Millie Bobby Brown is, like, the biggest draw, and that's only I mean, because that's, she's in Stranger Things. Yeah, right. That's, that's like, it. I mean, Kyle Chandler... I did like Charles Dance in King of the Monsters. Charles Dance was great. I love Charles Dance. Yeah. Like, I, I stand Charles Dance, as I know Brett does as well. But, uh, but yeah, no, for the most part, by and large, I I just kind of find myself not caring. This, uh, I will say, for all the star power this movie has, um, every almost every single one of them is completely miscast. I mean, yes, star power, but weaponized star power no this is more yeah. like star power for its own sake yeah it's awful like huh. hey you'll watch a movie with this guy in it right um, so maybe not. so steven did you ever watch the original godzilla versus king kong i haven't yet no okay did, were you aware that there is a whole toho king kong series uh i know there are two toho yeah. king kong movies i know there is uh godzilla versus king kong and king kong escapes yeah, uh, are, there, are there others? I believe is King Kong escapes. Does that have mech? Does that have a mecha Kong? Uh, yeah, mecha Kong in it, which is or whatever. Yeah. A mechanic That's what it was. Okay, yeah. Then maybe there's only two. Yeah. The Toho series is weird because you think of Godzilla, Mothra, Rodan being like kind of in the same movie, but mm-hmm. every single monster in the Godzilla series comes from a completely standalone franchise. Like Angiris, who's one of those iconic Godzilla monsters, the porcupine with the spikes and stuff. It's from Frankenstein versus the world, I think is what it's from. Yeah, I think you're right. I did. Uh, so at one point when I had pitched uh, the idea to you, when we were originally making rule of thirds, I had pitched to you the idea of doing a, a podcast about franchises. And I went deep on the Godzilla franchise and pulled like every movie that Godzilla or a tangential monster that Godzilla fights it from like everywhere and put them all on a master list. And there were like, probably something close to like 70 total movies on that list. Yeah. Um, cause it's cause all pretty much every monster movie that Toho came out with and they made a lot got folded into the Godzilla canon in one form or another. Yeah. Like all of them. So yes. there was, it was a pretty, it's a lot a of weird, obscure list. stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we didn't end up making that podcast. Uh, we ended up making a podcast called rule of thirds instead, which we did for a couple of years. Yeah. Things, uh, Things got a little complicated. As as things tend to do. Sam, actually, why don't we uh why don't we hand the podcast over to you for a little bit and uh tell us a little bit about uh yourself. If you got anything to promote or plug, do so. Just uh, uh tell us a little bit about you, man. This has been a route a very rough year so far. Um I, I've been working on a feature length movie entitled Fun and Games, and it explores the concept of uh well, I've always been kind of interested in those romantic comedies where the friends help their a guy's best friend helps him get the girl, mm-hmm. but what if they go to sinister uh, links to do so? Right, it's kind of what this movie is. Is them going? Is this guy's imaginary or not imaginary friends? Uh, best friends help him get the girl, but they're kind of uh, evil. And, and um, you you were very kind to cast me in uh, in one of the, in the role of one of those friends, which I'm yeah. insanely grateful for because it was a lot of fun. Yes, um, that movie isn't definitely on hold. I realize that more than I can chew. Bummer. It's not canceled, and I'm not going to cancel it. I'm going to full go through with it i just have to go about it a different way uh because i cannot take on this production right now because it's sure. some things going on in my life sure uh right now 2020 killed a lot of dreams man just hang it in there did. yeah but 2021 has been getting worse oh. <laughs> so i just gotta i just gotta i just gotta somehow ride this out and re uh te- uh re go about i gotta go about a different way okay. but in the meantime i was able to make a video for a local pizza shop 
because they've been tanking well. But uh, Barstool Sports has a fund to bail restaurants out that have been affected by 20, by the COVID issue. Okay. So I made a video to help promote that so they get money. I really hope that they win because, or win some of the money because they feed half the people in Madison County through charity through this place. Like seriously, in the past 10 years, they have raised something like 12,000 gifts for 3,000 foster kids in the, in the system here because they've been awesome. to this restaurant. Yeah, so hopefully we'll get they'll get the money for that based off the video I made for them. Well, yeah, and link, link us to that video and we'll put it in the, the show notes for this episode okay. so that our I'll listeners that. can check it out. And then I'm working on a music video with the band uh, In Vain right now. Okay, and cool. We'll be seeing some of that in the next couple months. Very cool. Yes. So that's uh, where I'm at with things. That's awesome. And, and where can we where can we find you on social media? Do you have a social media presence? Uh, Are you on Instagram? See some other stuff on YouTube? Yeah, Instagram will be the best. I have a link on in the profile. My link tree is there, so you can see my other videos and stuff. But um, and it's there's no OnlyFans, so don't worry. It's link tree simply because I can connect to other <laughs> works. But oh, yeah, so Instagram you, you, will be the best. You didn't way. end up launching that OnlyFans that you were talking about? That's nah, a- nah. Saturated market. Well, cool, man. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll include links to uh, your Insta is uh, I am your pallbearer, correct? Correct. On Instagram, uh, I actually did post a link to your uh, your film Susan Lands the Interview on a previous episode because I I brought it up. So well, thank uh, you, I appreciate yeah. that. Sorry guys, I'm not, that would explain some things on my YouTube stats. <laughs> and I apologize, guys, I'm not good with titles. <laughs> so, as you can tell by that one, Fun and Games is the best title I came up with. Even then, I had to call it Fun and Games because the original title was Fun and Games, and I realized that did not look good on the poster. So, well, I mean, and it's very close to the Michael Haneke film Funny Games too. So, yeah, you've, you've you've got that whole thing to worry about. So, yeah, then people who care about that film, which they shouldn't, you know, <laughs> not at all, care not even a little film. bit. I think no, we've, no. Di- I honestly, I think we've a- discussed Funny Funny Games on this podcast before. I, I feel like we there have. is a there is a cult following for that that movie does not deserve to have. Not even a little bit. I've no. discussed my hatred of that movie on it very yeah, briefly I'm, before. I um, and I have mentioned that I will probably never see it, even though the the remake stars one of my all time favorite actresses, Naomi Watts. I'd probably. No, never I'm seen. so glad I'm in good company then, because really, that the people that movie. Yeah, sorry. So that you you heard it here first, folks. We don't like funny games. Um, but yeah, definitely check out uh, check out Sam. Check out his stuff. Um, thank you so much for being on this episode, man. We were. We we're thrilled to have you. Thrilled to have you come on and talk Godzilla. Yeah, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. And thank you for making us put you on this episode because it was a blast. Uh, it's it's fun to podcast with you again. Sam and I uh, used to have a podcast, as we mentioned before, called Rule of Thirds. Uh, you can check out all the episodes that exist of that uh, wherever you get podcasts, maybe. I think they're all still out there. So They are. And you may see something from us in the future. I don't know. Oh, this is the first I'm hearing about this. Exciting. I know. <laughs> because <laughs> we didn't do our we didn't do our annual beer tasting last year so we did not we'll talk about that later okay fun times all right well maybe that's what it is ha huh. fantastic so um you can find this podcast which is called disenfranchised by the way uh you can find us on twitter uh facebook or instagram we are at disenfranchpod uh you can email us at disenfranchpod at gmail.com uh, and the offer still stands. If you email us with the title of a failed franchise starter that you would like to see us cover, we will cover it before the end of the year. Uh, if you need an example of a failed franchise starter or perhaps a list, uh, well, you can hop on over to my letterboxd at Chewy Walrus and look at my lists. I've got a list of failed franchise starters just right there for you. 
uh, to look at and peruse at your leisure. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram or Twitter at Chewy Walrus as well. Uh, Brett, such as you are, where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can just find me on Letterboxd at Gunslinger Fire. And find you on Letterboxd, we shall. Uh, so that brings to an end Monster March Madness Month. Uh, we hope you had as much fun with it as we did. Uh, next month, something completely different, uh, which we are very much looking forward to. Uh, so until next time, uh, for my co-host, Brett Wright, and our very special guest, Samuel Dumas, I'm Stephen Foxworthy, saying, you know, that the fish thing. Um, was there a reason for the fish? Like there was a lot of fish, sure. But ultimately at the end of the day, like was, was there a reason for the fish just other than to lure out Godzilla? Like, cause it feels like as many times as they talked about fish, there should have been something more there. Am I wrong? No, just to lure him out. Okay. It's all right. I mean, it just, it just feels like there should be something else to that. Right. Am I, am I, am I wrong in thinking there should be something else to that? Like maybe I you should have like tried to like, like put some chloroform in the fish to knock him out. Maybe I, f I feel like there's other places in the world that might have more fish than New York city. Right. Uh, San Francisco for one, also much closer to Japan, San Francisco. So <laughs> any of those Eastern Asian countries, I'm, I'm actually, Japan. Japan actually, for instance, <laughs> interesting. Uh, I'm actually yeah. just now realizing we didn't talk about the Godzilla premiere for this movie, which was massive, like the, the Madison Square Garden. Go online. Yeah, this will be my sign-off. Go online and read about the Madison Square Garden Godzilla premiere. It was insane. That's my sign-off. All right, episode over. Walk away. Hashtag you don't know fish. Hashtag you don't know fish. <laughs> <laughs>